From Schwartz Media, I'm Scott Mitchell, filling in for Ange McCormack. This is 7am. John Ronson has spent time with conspiracy theorist Alex Jones, uncovered the secret US military program to train psychic soldiers, and told the stories of the first people to be publicly shamed in the modern social media age. Now he's investigating the culture wars, from fears about left-wing activists taking over the streets to paranoia about vaccines, he's discovering the surprising origins of our most divisive social conflicts. Today, author and journalist John Ronson on how things fell apart and we all ended up fighting over very different versions of reality. It's Thursday, February 22. John, thanks so much for joining us. How are you feeling? Great. Well, I feel absolute. I feel like I couldn't be more ready. Fabulous. Let's get into it, shall we? Now, John, you've been looking into the culture wars recently, and I think sometimes we can hear the word culture wars, and it's it's really easy to think about kind of bombastic TV news commentators, and people think of that when they think of the culture wars, and we can laugh at them or something. But in in so many of your stories you see how the beliefs in these culture wars actually have have huge effects. You know, people's lives are completely changed. Well, you know, why did you think it was so important to highlight that element of the culture wars? Because uh, I saw friends kind of topple to getting too obsessed with a, with a particular culture war issue. I had this friend, I'm not going to name him because like in Beetlejuice, I don't want to summon him. <laughs> but he was a friend uh, who was a, a brilliant writer got too enmeshed in the gender-critical culture war uh, on the side of the gender-critical people, became extremely belligerent about it to the extent that he lost his family, he lost all of his work. He just spends every day battling, like trapped, like that scene in Poltergeist when you open the door and everything's spinning around really fast. And that seemed so extraordinary But also, I think we've all got someone like that in our lives. Somebody from this tweet to that tweet two weeks later has completely changed and become an extreme caricature of themselves, trapped down a rabbit hole that they can't escape from. Uh, It seems to be a very modern and shocking malaise. And and I really wanted to unpick that. Like, what were the mechanisms of, of somebody like that toppling in that way? And I thought an interesting way to do it would be to go back in history and find these tiny human stories. Yeah, when you go to a party and everyone's screaming at each other, it's impossible to know how that started. So it's nice and instructive and clarifying sometimes to go back to the moment it all began. Right. And as you were investigating the culture wars for the new season of your own podcast, Things Fell Apart, you you began to focus on the time period of May 2020. And, and I wonder what it was about that time specifically that caught your eye as a way to look into these conflicts. Right. Well, just the research, it turns out that we were all pretty compliant for six weeks, <laughs> for six weeks of like mid-March through to May, we were pretty compliant. And then in May, like coiled springs, we all went nuts and started massively mistrusting our institutions. I met a neighbour who lives in a farmhouse 
And he said, have you heard about Plandemic? Like America's most eminent scientist has given an interview saying that everything we're living through isn't what we think it is. So I looked, so when I decided to make season two about this period in May 2020, when everything exploded, Plandemic. One video making the rounds is called Plandemic. It features a former scientist claiming this coronavirus did not occur naturally. The murder of George Floyd. Cities across the United States remain in a state of high tension tonight as the country braces itself for another wave of protests over the death of George Floyd. Antifa. Antifa moving in next door. Oh, my gosh. Ron DeSantis, all of these things all happened you know, all at once within 20 days of each other. And things certainly haven't gotten any better. I was talking to a YouTube creator the other day. He said that whenever he puts on anything nuanced on his channel, he gets like no views at all, like 10,000 views at the most. Whatever he puts on an extreme culture warrior who calls woke people a death cult or whatever. Uh, he gets hundreds of thousands of views. And so the he's rewarded. And, you know, I guess this has always been the way. It was the way before the internet when we were on television, you know, terrestrial television. But the fact is you're rewarded for extreme polarizing, oppositional, rage-inducing content and nuanced trying to see every side of the argument content like mine is getting more and more niche. And yeah, I, I do want to ask you about the news media. So much of your work talks about the way that media and news media can make things more difficult and, and create these grand illusions we all share, I suppose. Can you tell me about a time where we've seen the news media actually make things worse? Certainly. One of the episodes of the new season of Things Fell Apart is about this family from the Pacific Northwest in America. They were Twilight fans. They were fans of Twilight. So when the lockdown restrictions were lifted, they went off on a Twilight camping adventure to Forks, Washington, which is where the movies were set. And as they get into town, the townspeople start following them. They pull in to buy some shrimp at the grocery store and they're circling their, their bus, the family are in a bus. And then the family go to the campsite and set up camp and they're hearing people like zooming past them and shooting in the air. And then somebody chops down some trees to, to entrap them in this campground. They're still setting up their tent at this point, by the way. They're the most optimistic people I've ever come across. turns out that the reason why all of this happened was because the town had got it into their heads that this family was Antifa, the anti-fascist organisation coming to topple their town. The violence and vandalism is being led by Antifa and other radical left-wing groups who are terrorising the innocent, destroying jobs hurting businesses and burning down buildings. And I think the way it breaks down is that the right-wing media tell these great big, almost like mythological, balls-out lies. And with Antifa, at this time when this family went into Forks, Washington, the right-wing media were saying that, you know, Antifa are responsible for, like, all the horrors, you know, all the looting. Antifa's going to break out of the cities and destroy your town. 
the shadowy, heavily armed left-wing militia group, the guys dressed like stormtroopers in black masks. You remember them, of course, well from the summer of 2020. They burned our cities that year, churches and police stations and courthouses. The left-wing media are more subtle than that. It, it, they're activists. And, but activist journalism, while it sometimes has very positive results, the cost is it's another kind of lying. It's not about evidence. It's about ideology and activism. And the left-wing media were like, no, Antifa are just freedom fighters and looting is just another way of redistributing wealth. What is a looter? And what we've seen often is that the very system of racial capitalism has been the looter. From this incredibly, extraordinarily polarised media, everyone just gets confused and bewildered. This innocent family get mistaken for Antifa and are hounded out by people with shotguns. We're all connected more than ever now. Our actions ripple out in the most extraordinary twisty-turny ways and sometimes change societies. So from these tiny human stories to the mighty nefarious oaks grow. After the break, the one person John Ronson underestimated and how he went on to help elect Donald Trump. This year, the Saturday paper celebrates 10 years as Australia's leading independent newspaper. In that time, it's built a peerless reputation for quality journalism, for telling stories that are ignored elsewhere. It's the essential account of the week in politics, culture and news. When you read the Saturday paper, you don't need to read anything else. Subscribe today from just $2.10 per week. Visit thesaturdaypaper.com.au slash subscribe. The Saturday Paper. The whole story. As a a 7am listener, you're already familiar with many of the journalists who work for The Saturday Paper. For a limited time, subscribe to Australia's leading independent news source, The Saturday Paper, and you'll receive The Saturday Paper's stainless steel coffee cup, made in collaboration with Fresco, for free. Subscribe from just $2.10 a week. Simply visit thesaturdaypaper.com.au forward slash offer. John, often your work, I guess it looks at how individuals, sometimes individuals on the fringes, their ideas can ripple out and actually affect us all. Thinking back over the people you've interviewed, have you ever underestimated just how influential someone could be? The time I've been sort of accused of that mostly was when I snuck into this secret club in Northern California called Bohemian Grove with Alex Jones who then went on to you know, hound the parents of children killed at Sandy Hook and so on. The case in which the parents of a child killed in the 2012 massacre at Sandy Hook Elementary School are suing InfoWars host Alex Jones for defamation for his repeated claims that the massacre is a hoax. I definitely underestimated the power and influence he would have. You know, Donald Trump went on his show. And obviously he is a maverick. He's an original. He tells it like it is. Doesn't read off a teleprompter, neither do I. He's self-made. Uh, Donald, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Alex. Great. Great to be with you. Trump distanced himself from Alex during his presidency. But the fact is, Alex had four or five million viewers who didn't vote. You know, these were like, you know, shut-ins and 
disenfranchised kids. Trump goes on his show. Alex convinced them to vote for Trump. I've got to just back you up again, because yeah. the more I research what you've actually said and done, it's amazing. You were the And Trump wins by a pretty small margin. So very smart and surprising that Trump would see Alex as a resource as opposed to somebody so extreme that you wouldn't want to be associated with him. Yeah, absolutely. But just to go back to that first time you met Alex Jones, I mean, it's a pretty incredible story. Can you yeah. tell me a bit about what you were doing with him exactly? Yeah, it was the greatest night of my life. His plan is to infiltrate Bohemian Grove in the dead of night and secretly film their owl-burning ritual. His name is Alex Jones. For us to successfully sneak in to this secret club in the Redwood Forests where people like Henry Kissinger and George Bush were rumoured to have a ritual which culminated in a papier-mâché effigy being thrown into a bonfire in front of a giant owl. It's kind of like a little visit to America's Transylvania. We're in search of these, what, what are they, cultists, uh, weirdos, is it just big business? I sure wish we'd have brought a gun. But why would you want to bring a gun? Uh, because they say people disappeared from here. We were advised that, that the way to get in, because we were going to, like, climb the mountain and shimmy down the other side and get in that way. And this local lawyer called Rick, who had himself successfully infiltrated Bohemian Grove, he said to me and Alex, if you go in that way, you're going to get yourself killed. And I always remember Alex got out his notepad and wrote down, going in that way, dash, killed. What Rick said is, you just dress preppy, just go to the local preppy clothes store and buy some chinos and just walk up the drive. So one of my favourite moments in that adventure was Alex buying some preppy clothes and then practising being preppy. Ah, here we go. By having preppy conversations with his producer. But I really want to know your opinion of nanotechnology. I mean, you've been studying it so closely. We've already got these transistors. Are you sure you don't look too preppy? And in the end, I went up the drive and yeah, we got to witness the owl ceremony. I mean, so our listeners know, over the years you've felt the need to revisit him and kind of cover him again. And I, I wonder what you make of where Alex Jones is today. Well, I think he's still very powerful. Like, I don't understand. He's got like a billion dollar judgment against him from the parents of Sandy Hook kids. And he's been deplatformed, but extraordinarily, since he was deplatformed from YouTube and so on, the amount of money he made went up, which shows how dysfunctional things are right now, that if you're ejected from mainstream society and you now go to this upside-down world, this shadow world, where you're more successful and you make even more money, I never thought that somebody that fringe could attract you know, real power. And I never realised how, how rich he'd become either and how mainstream his ideas would become. So did I underestimate Alex? He was so much more charismatic than any of the other conspiracy you know, leaders at the time. He was always destined to become the most successful conspiracy theorist. But yeah, but I think I underestimated just how nefarious and how powerful he'd become. Mm -hmm. And as well as someone who investigates, you know, this stuff, you're, you're also, a, a, I guess, a consumer of all these things like the rest of us. But has doing this kind of work 
taught you or things that you try and keep in mind to avoid going down a rabbit hole or getting a delusion of your own or or falling into a, a venomous kind of conflict with someone? Are there things that you try and do yourself? Well, I definitely try and avoid getting into venomous conflicts with people. I'm very conflict-averse. But the other stuff that you talked about, I actually actively want to do. I want to fall down a rabbit hole and lose myself. Because I think if you write nonfiction, you should have all the ambition of a, of a fiction writer. And in fiction, you expect your protagonists to go through life-changing experiences. And I think that, you know, my books, The Psychopath Test and So You've Been Publicly Shamed and Them, I go through life-changing experiences. I start one way, something happens, I totally change, I see the world in a new way. Losing yourself, getting paranoid, getting drunk with your psychopath-spotting powers, like all the stuff I do in my books, I actually really love. You just have to pull yourself out of it at the end and get, you know, become rational again. But yeah, if you can lose yourself to craziness, I think go for it and put it in your book. John, thank you so much for your time. That was such a pleasure. Thank you so much. John Ronson will be in Australia later this year for a series of talks asking, do psychopaths rule the world? And um, I came across while prepping for this interview that you're a um, fan of Amel and the Sniffers. Oh, God, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're, they're great. I discovered them about a year and a half ago, and uh, I can't believe how good they are. Are, are, are you a fan? Yeah, and I um, thought I'd ask, you're coming out to Australia at the end of the year, whether you'll try and make it to a show or something if, if the times overlap. Oh, my God, I would love that. Although they were playing in New York quite recently, and I got so excited, and and I saw doors were eight, and I like thought they're not going to be until ten. <laughs> I can't do that. Like I'm in my fifties, so I didn't go. But I, I might have to wait forty years until they're like a legacy band and come on at seven thirty. From the Saturday paper comes The Food, a free weekly newsletter featuring curated recipes from some of the country's leading chefs, including Andrew McConnell, Otama Carey, David Moyle, and Karen Martini. Cook what they cook by subscribing today at thesaturdaypaper.com.au slash newsletters. Also in the news today... Amanda Bardwell has been named the new CEO of Woolworths after its current chief executive, Brad Banducci, announced his resignation yesterday. It comes after the supermarket posted a $781 million loss and in the same week as Mr Banducci walked out of an interview with the ABC's Four Corners program, asking for material in the interview to be excluded from the program. And a landlord in Queensland has been charged over failing to install compliant smoke alarms in a home where a fire killed six of its tenants. The house fire at a home on Russell Island in August 2023 led to the deaths of a 34-year-old man and his five young sons, who were aged between 11 and 3 years old. The maximum penalty for not having compliant smoke alarms in a home in Queensland is $774. I'm Scott Mitchell. This is 7am. Ange McCormack will be back with you again tomorrow. Take care.